0: Hey there and welcome to the 680 News Podcast, I'm your host, John Mace. On this weekly program, we have a chance to look at some of the week's biggest stories, offer you an inside look at our operations here in downtown Toronto, all while trying to have a bit of fun. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Another great show lined up for you today, it's what everyone's talking about this week. The Pokemon Go app is snowballing at unprecedented levels, early figures show the app has more daily users now than Twitter, and it's only technically available in a handful of countries. Our senior business editor Mike Apple and Moman Qureshi go over a massive week for Nintendo. And a follow-up on what we introduced last week, driverless cars, they're coming. And with the technology come a lot of questions. We talked to Jim Kenzie with the Toronto Star's Wheels section about how auto manufacturers are gearing up for the end goal.
1: So this is one of the so-called enabling technologies leading us towards this uh, holy grail, shall we say, of fully autonomous cars.
0: Daryl Dahmer will bring you that story in just a few minutes, but first, our top story. Pokemon, to and the kid in me is thrilled I got to use that clip, Pokemon Go, The a brand new app easily became the most talked-about story of the week. At the time of this recording, July 15th, Pokemon Go isn't even officially available here in Canada, but that hasn't stopped tens of thousands of us getting our hands on it, including me. Now the game is slated to go global soon, as soon as the company's servers catch up with the unprecedented demand. It's made global news for the free game's effect on the markets, and the odd headlines don't stop pouring in. People playing the game in inappropriate places like Holocaust museums, raising security concerns by playing out front of the White House, and as if we weren't distracted enough by our smartphones, the Pokemon Go-related injuries are now starting to come into the newsroom. In countries where it's launched, people are walking around in swarms, staring at their phone looking for that elusive Pokemon. Now, if you haven't quite figured it out yet, Pokemon Go is a free app based off the cartoon world of Pokemon, Pocket Monsters. The app uses GPS and information from Google Maps to allow you to walk around in real time, collecting little beasts that pop up on your phone's camera, and then battle other trainers. Now, as if the hugely successful launch wasn't enough, Nintendo just announced the launch of a brand new product, that is sure to be under everyone who was born in the 80s' Christmas tree. For a closer look at a record-setting week for Nintendo, I turn to our senior business editor, Mike Apple. Well, as weeks go, this was a pretty good one for Nintendo. Company's share price spiked 60%,
2: and that increased its market value by a whopping $10 billion. On the surprise summertime success of the Pokemon Go mobile app. But Nintendo also went back in time for another possible winner, announcing plans for a mini console of its classic NES gaming system, which came out in the 1980s. It's going to be in stores just in time for Christmas. I spoke to our in house gaming expert, Moman Qureshi, who hosts Got Game on Sportsnet. Is, is this Nintendo uh, just capitalizing on the Pokemon thing, or is this something that they probably already had planned and it's just. Good timing for them to announce that uh, Nintendo, this NES uh, mini console, uh, is coming out. Because it seems like they already had some some big buzz and this can only help.
3: Yeah, they definitely would have had this plan. There's no way they could have just come up with this in the last few weeks or so. So this is definitely something they would have had in the pipeline. I'd say this is more than capitalizing on... Um, sort of the nostalgia craze that we're in because that's, uh, very hot right now is, is retro and nostalgia. So this is something that they're definitely jumping in and capitalizing on. And it's been a monster, monster month for Nintendo between E3 when they showed off the new Legend of Zelda, which got huge, uh, raves, you know, feedback and people were really happy they kind of stole E3. Then of course the success of Pokemon Go, which has been massive this past week, and now this announcement, I mean, they've just been really, really on top of their game the last month.
2: The uh, Well, the price point of the GameStop thing that I just sent you, actually, it says $60. I guess, I'm, I'm assuming that's American. But still, uh, that's a pretty low price point to buy a console
3: with a bunch of games
2: already included, and it sounds like it's the perfect Christmas gift.
3: Uh yeah, so first of all, uh the timing is not tr- uh, is not coincidental so going straight into the holiday season, a lot of people are going to definitely want this for Christmas. And $60 is very reasonable. Now you have to remember it is uh a 30-year-old console, so it's not like a brand new state of the art machine. It is still the one that, you know, you played when you were a kid in the 80s. Um but I think $60 is sort of right in the proper wheelhouse of what people are willing to pay for because console plus a bunch of games you get that real nostalgic feeling if you're older you can share the memories with your kids if you just want to play it yourself so i think that's a really smart price point to put it at and it's something that's going to really hit and i'm very much expecting this to be a huge huge success for nintendo
2: who buys this is it young kids and you know their first uh, interaction with those original games or is it uh, uh, the nostalgia buyer you know people who were uh, teenagers, I guess, in the 80s or, or, you know, in that age category that says, hey, I want that, after originally probably selling their <laughs> their original uh, games and cartridges uh, that they had uh, probably stored in a shoebox someplace.
3: I would say that the probably the biggest buyer of this is going to be the nostalgia market. So anybody who was a little kid back in the 80s or a little older in high school or who had their first kind of gaming experience uh with the NES. That's what this market will primarily be. I think there'll be a lot of parents who will buy this to try to share those memories with their kids and want to maybe rekindle a little bit of that magic. And sure, I, I think some kids will have their first interactions with this, but I think it's mostly going to be that nostalgia market and a lot of people who maybe missed their NES, wish they hadn't thrown it away, want are pining for you know, that old experience, whether it's Mario Brothers or one of those old games that they played initially. It's going to be an entirely classic uh, lineup of games that people played a lot when they were kids and want to get some time with again. And uh, I think it's going to be a really big hit with people who who are missing that time and really just want the NES back in their house. But the other thing I can tell you is, just sort of from a business point of view, Nintendo was really... They were struggling for a few years. You know, after the massive success of the Wii... Like, seven years ago, they put up the Wii U as a follow-up. It didn't flop, but it didn't really hit as hard as they wanted to. And then they were kind of just putting up a bunch of stuff that was kind of just like, eh, people didn't really love it, they didn't hate it, it was okay. And then they really needed to turn it around, and I would say in the last month, they really, really turned it around. Zelda got really positive feedback at E3, they had a really great showing, Pokemon Go is a huge success. This NES reboot uh, that's coming out—people—it's only been on Twitter for a little while now. People are already freaking out about it. So I think Nintendo's making a pretty strong comeback, and this is all leading to the fact that they're putting out a brand new state-of-the-art console uh, early next year.
2: It almost sounds though like Pokemon Go. It sounds more like luck than actual good planning.
3: I would say it's it's definitely good planning on Nintendo's part, but there's sure there's a bit of luck. I would say that it's they were hoping it would be a success and uh, banking on it being a success, but I don't think even Nintendo in their sort of wildest vision could have envisioned the type of success it is and the type of craze that it's causing, the type of sort of fandom and obsession that it's, that it's really hit within the first week. Uh, I think, you know, the the higher-ups in Nintendo were, were hoping that it would hit, but I don't think this kind of a success that they've had is really what they could have predicted. Pokemon... It is that kind of franchise where it does have that kind of obsessive fan base where it's been hot for 20 years since it first hit, and people still, you know, there's been plenty of... I mean, Nintendo kind of knew because they have put out a lot of different Pokemon video games over, the, you know, the past decade or so. They put out Pokemon X and Y and Pokemon Red and Pokemon White and Pokemon Black, and there's been all these different video games, and they've all been successful. So they knew what kind of a market was out there. I think this Pokemon Go, though, has... Sort of a similar effect as the Nintendo did, where people maybe who aren't gamers are playing Pokemon Go. People who are just casual, but like the Pokemon franchise, or maybe are just getting caught up in the trend, are the ones that are really going full tilt into this, along with the gaming crowd. That's Momon
2: Qureshi, host of Got Game on Sportsnet.
0: That was our Mike Apple, who, in case you're wondering, is not yet playing Pokemon Go. Now, if you missed last week's episode, we started to talk about driverless cars with the Insurance Bureau of Canada. They say they're studying the technology closely, but have yet to have any formal sit-downs with the Ministry of Transportation. Now, this week, we're taking a closer look at how the tech is developing. For that, I hand the mic over to our traffic expert, Daryl Dahmer.
4: We just finished interviewing Steve Key with the Insurance Bureau of Canada, and I thought, who else do I know that would have a really good handle on this, where the rubber meets the road? And I thought of my old bud Jim Kenzie. He's the chief auto reviewer from the Toronto Star. He's in, where are you today, Jimmy?
1: Well, I'm at a place called Chatham, Quebec, on the banks of the Utewe River, I think is how they pronounce it, on the side of the border.
4: So the question here is, where do you see autonomous vehicles going, particularly in our climate, and what's been your experience?
1: Well, ironically, uh, one of the things that the new Fusion has is a lead-follow cruise control system. Once you set the cruise, it will follow the car ahead of you. If it comes to a complete stop, you can come to a complete stop you hit resume and the car then follows the car in front of you so this is one of the so-called enabling technologies that is uh, leading us towards this uh, holy grail shall we say of fully autonomous cars um i personally think we're a lot farther away from mass acceptance of autonomous cars uh, than some of the early adopters are saying. In the presentation today, for example, of Ford, they have a plug-in hybrid version of the Fusion, which, of course, has a gasoline engine as well. But the consumers are still concerned about range anxiety because when they think plug-in hybrid, they think pure electric car. I'm only going to be able to go you know, 60 kilometers and the thing's running out of juice. So the level of sophistication of the customer base at the moment is still frankly, pretty abysmally low. And for them to accept something as uh, radical as autonomous cars on any kind of mass scale... I think we're a long way away from from there, and that's purely from a customer acceptance point of view. Forget the legal and technical issues that still have to be addressed.
4: Looking in the horizon, and I realize this sort of thing uh, is very difficult with a crystal ball when it comes to auto technology. Look at Apple, uh, how many years that they've evolved and how quickly they've evolved to become the world power that they are. Are we talking one generation, two, three, four generations? What's your gut feeling?
1: Well, I, I kind of agree with the CEO of Magna Corporation, who was quoted the other day as saying he thinks it's going to be 2030 before we see uh, autonomous cars in any significant volume. And understand that he is a company who could build an autonomous car, and rumor has it he's actually going to be building the Google car when they ever get around to it. Um, but I, I think it's going to be in that time frame. Now, we're already seeing young people taking their driver's tests, wondering why do I have to parallel park when I can push a button and the car will parallel park for me. Uh, so there may be more acceptance amongst the younger generation. But then again, they're not buying cars until they're 30-some-odd years old because they're still living in their parents' basement and they can't afford one. That's probably, we're looking at a 15-year horizon, I think, at least from the point of view of younger people accepting this technology and again, uh, you mentioned climate, Um, these autonomous cars are based on being able to see the edges of the road. Well, guess what? When there's six, uh, half a centimeter or six centimeters of snow on the ground, you can't see the edge of the road. So we're not too sure how autonomous cars are going to work in our climate.
4: The big question on the horizon, Jim, why? Why do we need an autonomous vehicle?
1: The one thing that's, pretty hard to argue with is we still kill over 2,000 people uh, a year in Canada on, a, in our, on our highways, and the vast majority of those are caused by human error. It's a difficult sale because you don't want to sell something on the basis of otherwise you're going to die. That's, that's not a very positive marketing message. Uh, but even some enthusiasts I know are thinking, if i got to drive from Toronto to Detroit again on the 401, the most boring highway in the world, Maybe I can just punch in to Renaissance Center, Detroit, Michigan, crawl in the back seat and go to sleep. (laughs) Maybe I'd want to drive my car on a twisty road on a Sunday morning someplace, but there might be circumstances where an autonomous car might, in fact, be useful to me. But, again, I think we're still, uh, I'd say, 15, 20 years away before that's going to be a big part of our market.
0: Do you think that this is something that would be useful for maybe cab drivers or truck drivers? Is this some sort of technology that they might be interested in?
1: There is uh, some, uh, we heard a very interesting presentation at the Los Angeles Auto Show uh, last fall by the head of the Los Angeles Taxi Commission, and he was saying that fully autonomous cars could be very useful for the cab industry because they will go to places like Compton to pick up a fare where a, a human driver has no interest whatsoever in going to some of the poor areas of town. Um, so, yeah, I think fleet situations, um, maybe not big trucks because driving those things is such a, a complicated issue. But I think for the taxi industry, there might be uh, some, some value in, in the autonomous. They might fact be the first uh, adopters uh, of the technology. Well, you also mentioned the Apple situation and how Apple basically reinvented the telephone as well. BlackBerry did, but never mind. <laughs> and people are saying the same thing is going to happen to the car industry. But let's remember that the smartphone was, let's say, roughly a $500 device that replaced a $50 device. If that same ratio applies, we're going to have a $30,000 device, the average car sold in Canada, and it's going to be replaced by a $300,000 device. I don't think so. So I think the technology is going to be much more expensive than the mass market is going to be able to handle, uh, certainly for the reasonably foreseeable future.
4: And there's a big difference between the uh, smartphone sitting in your back pocket at a uh, one or two mile per hour velocity compared to 60 to 100 kilometers an hour on the road.
1: Exactly right. You might want to kill somebody with your smartphone, but the chances are you can't do it. But in a car, you certainly can.
4: Jim, is that the Avon lady at your door?
1: Uh, I think it's. I was sadly, much, much to my chagrin, I was actually idling the car because it's hotter than a two-dollar pistol here in, the, in the sun, and the car just shut itself off. So that was it telling me it's shutting itself off to save fuel. So that's probably a good thing.
4: I'll give you a chuckle here. Just before we were going to start calling you and doing the interview, uh, Eva had to reboot the computer, the autonomous computer, because it failed. Oh really? Yes, exactly. There you
1: go. <laughs> There you
4: go. Well, Jim, we uh, we bid you a good day. I hope you can take care of the person at your door, and thanks very much for joining us today.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Daryl, for having me on the show.
4: Okay, thanks, Jimmy. Cheers.
0: Well, that's our show for today. Thanks a lot to you for listening, and to all my contributors and guests this week. A reminder that we'd love your feedback. For future episodes, you can send your comments or story ideas directly to me at John JohnMace680News on Twitter, or you can reach the listener line at 416-872-6800, your recorded comments could make it on to future episodes. I'm John Mace and thanks for listening.